Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Hi everyone, this is Fran Lewis from freezing Westchester It's 30 degrees here, it's cold But this is going to warm you up We have Valerie Brooks here, the author of One Last Betrayal. Boy, that title really says an awful lot about a lot of things. So, Angeline Porter, I'm reading it from the back cover, craves a return to normalcy if we can ever figure out what that means. But when the former criminal defense attorney receives an alarming text, she races in desperation to file, what only to find a ransacked apartment, a poisoned dog, I felt bad, and a missing half-sister. And there's a whole lot more. So welcome to MJ Network. And this book is really good. It's one of those books where I just sat down and read it in an hour and a half and couldn't put down. Well, thank you, Fran. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. And by the way, dog does not die. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> oh, good, because I felt so bad that the dog was sick. I and know. You know you know, there are so many authors that kill off animals, and I get really upset. And after my bird died when I was, I don't even remember how old I was, my sister accidentally let him out of the cage, and poor Happy got a broken leg, and he couldn't listen to me play the piano anymore. And he used to sing oh. with me. So, Adam, yeah, he was so cute. So tell us, give us this brief summary, and tell us about Angeline and Bibi. I like Angeline. Okay, well, um, of course... Uh, One Last Betrayal is the third book in a trilogy mm. of femme noir thrillers. I call them femme noir thrillers because they mm-hmm. are on the noir spectrum. And mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, from reading the book, uh, Angeline is kind of a one of those kick-ass protagonists. She tries mm-hmm. to take justice into her own hands. But what's happened with her over uh, the three books is that she has found some history about her family in New Hampshire that has just, un, you know, has undone her. She's just, it, it makes her um, do things that she ordinarily wouldn't do, but mm-hmm. she feels that since her uh, sister Sophie in the first book died, uh, she... Yeah, really wants to save this, you know, this twin. And they're uh, zygotic twins. One is uh, one is white, one's African American, and that's actually mm. something that can happen from having multiple partners. Uh-huh. So she finds out a lot of things about her parents, who were the her father uh, was a uh, Vietnam vet, and he was also a survivalist and. He kept them going from one spot to another in New Hampshire to um, because he was very disturbed. So he also could not have children. So 
the what the his her mother was the one who went out and they both made this pact in mm-hmm. order to have children she would have partners in order to get pregnant now these are all mm. things that Angeline had no idea about until the second book so now she has a she has a sister Phoebe who is African American uh, grew up in Massachusetts and the she has her um, adoptive mother had mob ties so mm. that's that's the background. So Angeline <coughs> has had a problem with the mob since the beginning. That all mm. goes back to her um, first sister. So, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated story, complex, and it's also about, you know, family, but it's also about mm-hmm. how outside forces can really um, affect you. So that's where she's headed. She's headed to Hollywood, Florida, because mm-hmm. she's had um, a disturbing uh, text from her sister, Bibi. Well, I like her because she does what I would do, just get it done. I know. Sometimes yeah. you just don't think about it. You just automatically do it. That's that's me. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad would say, because... yeah, you have to be that. Sometimes you just have to do that. You have to be proactive. I mean, I think growing up on yeah. the East Coast, like I did, I was the same way. I was taught you take care of things, and if you and that's one of the reasons why it's hard for some people to like Angeline. Um, yeah, I've had some people say they don't like her because you know, you know, she she's she is proactive and she does go and do things and thinks she can take care of it herself. Well, we all know. We can't take care of everything ourselves, but I I do get I do get criticism because they think that she's you know do you know like why would she go off to Florida thinking that she can handle this herself? Well, we if we're if you're family, you do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. It it it's right? just, just it's like what fact. you said about yourself, just like yourself, yeah. like you said. Sometimes well, I you grew do up these things and you don't think about them. You, you just don't even think about the consequences. I know I grew up in the South Bronx, and my mother would say to me, I'll handle everything for you. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. And then I became an educator <laughs> at a very young age of a teenager. I was graduated high school and college. I wasn't even 18 years. I was I was young. And you walk in and you get tough. And then you realize, you know what, you can handle it. My father always said to me, if you want something done, do it yourself, and don't wait for somebody else to do it. Or I'll never get done the right way. So that's it. So tell mm-hmm. us, tell us what poor Sophie. Tell us what happened to her and why. And when her sister okay, is taken, tell. go on. Well, how did how did she how did she die? Well, I can't I can't tell everything because I'd be giving no don't away. Give but it let's away. put it yeah right. No, <laughs> no kidding. So. Is that hear from her sister after they've had a disagreement yeah. about something, and mm-hmm. she goes to the apartment and she she finds her and she she's hung herself. Mm. Um, she's committed suicide, and when she sees Sophie, the first thing that registers is, is that she is in a blue dress that her 
lover gave her, supposedly. Now, this is all supposedly. We don't know any of this. This is what Angelina is seeing from what mm. Sophie told her. So in the first in the first book, um, Revenge in Three Parts, the lover is a an FBI agent who is um, mm-hmm. American and French, and he's in France at this time. And she goes to France, at a you know to exact revenge. So she's very close to Sophie. Sophie is someone who has um, been needing her for years. She's one of these beautiful. In fact. What I've done is um, I, I do all my setting um, from go, from places that I go to. Angeline was born out of the metro in Paris. That's where she came from in my head, mm. um, which which is what I I need to do. My settings create my characters, my story. Mm. I just get lost in setting. And uh, my husband and I were in um, Paris. In 2015, mm. right after the Bataclan and all the shootings, the terrorist attacks mm-hmm. that happened, mm-hmm. and it was Christmas and everything was just, there was a, a pall holding, you know, right over the city where you could feel it. And so I had Angeline come out of the metro, and there was a Hoffman um, exhibit, photography exhibit, going on in the city and there were pictures of Marilyn Monroe above every metro exit and entrance with the one Mm. iconic one of her sitting on the floor reading a book with that in a little slip with the you know the the strap hanging down one arm and she's reading a book and I thought you know Sophie is vulnerable because she looks that beautiful Mm. so Angeline has had to struggle to keep her sister from falling down the rabbit hole, so to speak, with men who are taken by her look. So she is afraid that this man that she's fallen, that Sophie's fallen in love with, has somehow derailed Mm -hmm. Sophie because Sophie won't talk about him. And she always talks about her lovers. So she knows something is wrong. And she's trying to get it out of Sophie. And then she finds Sophie has hung herself. So that's the start of that. That is sad. And it is very sad. My my dad committed suicide, so I take some of these things and wrap them up in my, yeah, I wrap them up in my, um, in my fiction. Yeah, my sister died because my brother... That's sad. That is sad. That is sad. Well, no, my sister your... my sister died because my brother-in-law didn't call 911 in time after she supposedly had a massive heart attack, and she was perfectly cleared by the doctor the day before. It was a really crazy thing. And, oh, yeah, so that's so... Well, how yeah. old was she? She was in how her early 50s, 50-something. Oh, not that much. I'm not, I'm not... We're about the same age. And she was like... Mm-hmm. It's sad because she was the she was a pain in the ass. I loved her. My mom had Alzheimer's, <laughs> and she would call me every morning, my sister, and say, "Did you give mom her medicine?" I said, "You're the good one. When you walk in, she likes you, so you get your butt here and do it." She drove me crazy, but she was my best friend in the whole mm-hmm. world. You know, the kind of person you can so call you, at two o'clock in the morning. 
so you get that. That's that's exactly the that's exactly the relationship yeah. between Sophie and Angeline, where she loves her she loves her to death. She loves her, but at the same time, she is high maintenance, hard to you know. Mm-hmm. Just, why do you keep doing these things, you know, uh-huh. over and over again, you know? So, yeah, so you get that. Sisters are, you know, complicated. We have sisters, you know, that are complicated. But sisters are best friends, and I get upset when I listen mm-hmm. to one of my cousins talk about her sisters, and she's not talking to them. And I just stay out of that one. I don't get that. So, yeah, well, it was, it was over money and, and an inheritance, and, you know, it's funny. Money my will mom. Do it. Yeah, my mom left it. I, I took care of her when she was sick. I paid $7,000 a month with, um, that I went into debt for her home care until I got 24-7. I, I really worked the system. Like, I'm really good at it. And when she died, she left it all to my brother. <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, and heart attack. <laughs> that's all right, because he, he split it with me. I wasn't even worried about it. It didn't even matter. So her sister is taken. Who is Angel, Agent Gerard? And what's her relationship with him? He's cool. He is um, sort of the secondary main character throughout the whole trilogy. And Gerard is a enigma. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows what he's up to and why, but supposedly he is after, he is doing undercover work to find a rogue FBI agent mm-hmm. and all through the three novels he pops up because on the tail of a rogue agent which mm-hmm. I can't give anything away on that really but no. he he makes everybody's life you know just a mess <laughs> because when he comes when he comes into uh, in the mm. first book, when he comes along and Angeline goes to Paris to exact her revenge, of course, she finds out why her sister fell for this guy. Because he seems like an ordinary, really nice man. Of course, he's French and he's, he's you know, mm-hmm. he just seems like a decent man. There isn't anything, you know, alarming about him. And so she has a really hard time making her decision on whether she's going to exact revenge or not. But he will he will keep he will, you know he is the thread that kind of keeps involved in everything. And that's about all I can say about him. But he is uh, he he's not necessarily a you know, one of those knock dead, you know, handsome men. He's just got some kind of savoir-faire. You know, he's just a really he he's got it. He's got the it factor, but cares. He ha- he also cares, and that's an odd thing for her to deal with because she doesn't understand. You know, they they get entangled so many ways that she feels that um, she has. She, she at one one minute she's really angry with him and wants nothing to do with him, and then uh, then she flips and goes to the other side and realizes that he's as he's as you know messed up as 
she is about this whole thing. So, so yeah, the mob does some wonderful things. Uh, mm-hmm. People getting them involved. Um, you know, my my sister lived in Mass when Massachusetts, while well, you know Whitey Bulger was in power, and uh, that that kind of gave me a, a lot of information for the book mm. too. It doesn't come out that way, but I knew a lot of what was going on because of my sister my sister's um contact. So it was that, does, that does help. But my contacts for my books come from the people that are dead in the cemetery who tell the story about what they did wrong or got accused of doing wrong or why they're dead. So I don't have to. I just look at the tombstone and write write on it. Oh, is that why you died? Okay, well, what did you do to get there? So, who is Detective Prosper, and how does he become involved in finding BB, and why is he so interested in Angeline? Hmm. Uh, well, I think he I think he kind of likes Angeline. Um. Yeah. You know, right. I think what it is is that. Yeah, I think what it is is that he 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 sees her. He actually sees trying to do and why, but it's complicated because again, mm-hmm. when BB goes missing, um, Angeline gets to Hollywood, Florida. Gerard is there. Gerard Duvernay is there, and she's told him to stay out of it, which. Of course, you know, he's always there. He always seems to show up, but he's there for a reason. And when she gets to the, when they finally get into the apartment, they find that um, the dog has been poisoned, but still alive. Mm. So they, they get the, they save the dog. But there's blood on the corner of the coffee table. There is definite um, evidence that there has, you know, someone's been looking for something. Um, when you have a situation like that, the guy's not involved yet. It is the local police department. So mm. Detective Prosper is called in because of situation, and it's in his um, it's in his territory. So that's why he is called in to begin with, and that's why it's. It's all always under whoever's um, jurisdiction it is. So of course he is in charge of what's going on now. If it if it has some kind of connection to if it was proven that it was mob related or if it was somehow related to a case that the mm. FBI was um, overseeing, then there would be cooperation and they would make a decision on who it it would probably go to the FBI if it was mob related, but they can't tell that at the time. So that's why, that's why detective Prosper gets involved. He's um, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. I like him a lot too, because he came from, he came from Canada. He was married to an American, he's Canadian. Um, and he worked for the police force in, in Canada. And I read this. You know how it is, Fran, when you read a little tidbit in the newspaper or someplace yeah, and you uh-huh. go, oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. In, um, I think it was Montreal, <clears throat> that 
I read this little tidbit about how they were trying a different method of of talking to people of interest in a case versus put them in a very cold room like you see on TV, you know, where there's nothing in the room and there's a big, you know, big window that's actually a two-way mirror and you see all this, it's, you know, you are, it's stripped down. They tried instead in the first um, interviews, like just the informational mm-hmm. interviews, they bring mm-hmm. them into a very cozy room and make them relax. And that way they get more information out of them. Mm. And so that's what I used. I, I used Detective Prosper using that method in his um, in his interview room. And so little gems like that, you know how you do that. You just sprinkle them yep. into your fiction. They just kind of pop up and you go, oh, I can use that. So he's that's- really caring. Well, that's how I learned to write I, things, too. I, I had um, a show last week with authors that were talking about crime and true crime, famous authors. And I do panels with them. I drive them crazy, but it's so much fun. And we're <laughs> going to do one. We're doing one in February on uh, whose style do you write on? Do you write like Eloise Queen, Agatha Christie? How do you apply that to your writing? I had to come up with questions, and I came up with questions that they said they've never been asked before, which is really good. I'll keep them on their toes. Good. And yeah, you you have. I, I I wonder sometimes, but then I just got an email from my. I do um, seminars with my reading professor from college because I I'm a reading specialist, and we did three, and we're going to do a fourth one in January. And I he emailed me what I'm going to do because I don't make the decision; he does. And I sent him my talking points, and he said, you see, you, that's why I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about um, so automaticity and uh, how to the uh, what a reading specialist does, which is me. And he's going to talk about that, and I'm going to, I gave him some extra talking points because he has to approve my interview. I let him do it. I don't care. So this, this is That's this, great. I'll this, have to listen in on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I did one um, October 25th, and we talked about uh, automaticity. We talked about uh, metacognition and metacomprehension and a whole bunch of stuff. And I held my own. I was proud of myself. And I'm sure. This is is where I love Angeline, because Angeline is me. She creates lists. Lists are very important. She creates lists Uh of evidence, and the list helps her to decide to find her sister. No, that's me. My dad taught me, keep a list and you'll know everything that, that, you know, you won't lose it. Because basically, if you try to remember everything, it's going to slip out of your mind. But lists are great. And, of course, I have every, all of your questions on my um, notepad because my computer has a habit of making things disappear. And I did post your review, <laughs> which was on my notepad, too, just to make sure it didn't disappear. For real. So why does she create lists? And how, did, how does well, that help her? A- Okay, so you you nailed what it does. Um, or two. Also, part of that list making for me is I have a very I have close to a photographic memory, so if I look at something, yeah. I don't need my mm-hmm. iPhone to take a picture of it. So yep. if I write it, write I write my novels. I write longhand first. Because there's something between, like you know, between the brain and your hand, 
Um, and people, you know, I think people should try this. I've, I, I've written about this before. You write lists in order to make it stick. Like yeah. you said, if if you're if you just think about it, it goes away. Um, there's too much com- too much information coming in nowadays, and I'm sure mm-hmm. it's been like that forever. But she makes list number one because she was a she was a lawyer, and part of how she was able to remember everything that lawyers have to have. They have to have lists. You see, you know, that they they do that as part of their training. And so she makes lists in order to get her um her mind centered on what she needs to do. And it's effective for her because it helps her also analyze. It helps her determine what actions to take. It gets all of the unknowns onto a page and to see if there's any kind of correlation. So there are a lot of things that happen mm. when you make lists like that. So that's why she makes lists. List it helps her also. Go ahead. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It helps you because it centers you and it sort of organizes your brain so that you don't have to really, you know, like think about it. And that's why I have, you know, the things on my my notepad, do Valerie's uh, questions, do this, do that, because I have like 15, 20 reviews every month. I don't know how, but I do. And interviews. Wow. So I have to actually, yeah, it's never happened like this. I, I, I told everybody, if you have something, talk to me in March, because February's gone. And I have three or four in March, and I'm waiting for two authors to tell me what date's in March. So talk to me in April, people. I just like forget it. Right. I have two this week, two next week, and then the week after I have three, 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 and three. And in wow. between that, All the yeah, and in between season. that, I, I, I I'm impressed. And I have the the books um, that I use that for the interviews. They're staring at me at a at a case of about fifty of them. They're in the in this bag. And when I'm done, which is where yours is going to go, um, I give them away. And yours has been requested. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that like to read because I tell them it's important, and they believe me. So I, my, optima, my optometrist, I don't go in there. I get glass frames because I get bored, and then I email the girls that work there and tell them I have books, so they want yours. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> That's great. They, yeah, they it. are. They're, yeah. They're, they're young girls in their 20s and 30s, and... They're not that old, not that young, and they they when I heard they heard that I had they I, they gave them six last week. They want this one, and they want the author that I did yesterday because he did a YA book. So see, uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're, I don't get to keep them. So tell us more about. I love Gerard though. He's so he's mysterious, Gerard. And why does Prosper want to connect with him? And then how come she? Well, who is Ian? I didn't like him. Well, you had good instincts. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. He's the kind of person you ha- yeah, you had you had good instincts because um he was just too pushy and what he did all throughout yeah. he was, you know, you would you sh- you should be suspicious of him. Um Yeah. You know, it's it's part of it's part of, you know, setting up some of the you know, just a few you know, indications that 
she's being pushed into, you know, thinking that it's her brother. There's all kinds mm. of reasons to not like him. I mean, I wouldn't like him either, and I didn't like no. him when I made him because, you know, when I created him, he popped up. I I'm a I I create. I don't outline at all. I, I have no use for outlining because um, my characters kind of just do what they want to do. Uh, and he popped up in a time when I thought, oh, now that's suspicious. <laughs> Mm-hmm. the way he acted but I also had this sense that maybe maybe if he was her brother or if he is her brother then he would be desperate to have her as a sister I don't know I mean I had I had my own um, questions about him and mm-hmm. the reason uh, you, to go back to your first question the reason why uh, Prosper wants to talk to DuVernay is that he is suspicious of DuVernay. He yeah. He also does a little bit of background work, you know, talking to the FBI to find out if, I mean, they're not going to tell him if if this is an undercover agent, of course, but he wants mm-hmm. to get, he wants, and he's not, um, he's not as well connected as someone who lived there for their whole life would be. So he's trying to find out who this guy is. And also, you know, it's suspicious that when uh, Gerard and Angeline get to B.B.'s apartment and then the detective and the police come, that DuVernay disappears. Um, Yeah, I see that. That's right. That right away, right away gives Prosper, you know, uh, you know, get you know, makes him suspicious of who is this. He, I mean, nobody knows what's going on at the time. So, of course, uh, Angeline has to explain everything to Prosper. Prosper is, uh, an, you know, he's, he's the most, um, he's the most, I would say, pure character in the book because he mm. really believes in what he does. That's really what it comes down to. He believes in what he does, and he's a—he's just a good guy. Um, so that's why they—that's why Prosper is very interested in Gerard because why is this guy showing up, and why is he disappearing? And even if he is FBI, and as Angeline explains to him that he's, you know, looking for mm-hmm. a rogue agent, well, really. Well, the problem is this. I liked him because you portrayed him in a positive way because police are portrayed horribly in the news and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me because I have a nephew that's one in the police department. I have another one that's a sergeant in the police department in the Army. He's a trip and a half. And people in in the military. And they're not exactly, police officers are not exactly the most friendly people up here either. Let me tell you. Um, you'd, be, you'd be amazed. And it's it's nice to have a police officer that actually cares. So, before I forget, right. because they'll yell at me if I don't remember, Monday, the counterfeit wife. Wednesday, Nunzio's Way. It's a Pew Marburg. It's interesting. 
The fifth, old mm-hmm. sins. I got two copies of that, one backwards and one forwards, for real. The seventh, New York Times author Adam Sykes, Landslide. The eighth, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dick Belsky, R.G. Belsky, Claire Carlson's back, it's in the news. It's news to me. The twelfth, Midnight Call, the 14th, her sister's death. And what better way to end December than with the one and only D.P. Lyle, which Howie, man, he's cool. Ooh, D.P. Lyle's coming on. Okay, good deal. He comes on a lot, and I am so excited. I got an email last week. They sent me, surprise, the book, um, The Cabinet of Dr. Lang, uh, D- uh, Preston and Childs, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child are coming on January uh-huh. 26th at 12 o'clock oh, for a special fun. interview to talk oh, about the What a great schedule. I, I, you know, something I've been doing this, and I get I get impressed with myself sometimes. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and I've interviewed, I interviewed Cass, and I interview Iris Johansson. I have to email her publicist to see when she wants yeah. to come on. She loves me. She will not come on anybody's show if you ask the wrong questions. So I, of course, like yours, I, I give the oh, person the question, then Iris decides which one she wants to answer. Then I make up more. And well, she's great. I suppose she's, when you reach that, I, I suppose when you reach that level, you can do that. <laughs> she's really she's amazing. Really, she's a nice person. Tess is nice, but Iris is hilarious. She's great, and her son is great. Okay. So, Aww. this is the question. So how fun! This, how fun for you to to interview all these people. It's such a such a joy. I just interviewed and wrote an article with Dennis Lehane. Um, oh, nice. For Mystery and Suspense magazine, because I write, I write, and I write um, articles, and I, I do reviews for Mystery and Suspense magazine. And that's honestly, nice. I, you know how sometimes your heroes are really like, oh, mm-hmm. that I wish I'd never met him. Well, I'm so glad I met Dennis because he is one of the nicest, smartest, mm. um, you know. He's a feminist. I just love him. He's just great. He's in LA now, and I think he, I think he's uh, doing some really great work. So, yeah. So it's great to 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 do this kind of work, isn't it, Fran? I, I like doing this because it keeps my mind. My husband loves me doing this because it keeps me out of the stores to go shopping. But then again, everything closed up here, so there's very few places to go shopping except Marshalls, and they closed Kmart. It's so sad. I love Kmart. Um, cause I'm little, Darn. so I can go into the teen, de- I go into the teen department cause I'm little, uh-huh. which is great. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. even bother me. <laughs> so do you have a, do you I have a target a- there? No, I don't charge anything. I just walk in and I do Oh, target. Yeah. But it's not the same. There's a, there's a new no, store that opened up two years ago. It's called a uh, sassy pickens. It's for teens. That's, that's where I go. And they love me. Hey. Oh. I've never because, heard of that one. You don't want they may it, not it, have it's, it on the west coast. No, it's different. And all I know is that um, the first time I walked in, they were nice. The second time, she looked at me and I said, "If you tell me I'm too old to be in here, I'm, I'm going to walk out," which I did. She sort of said something. The last time I went, the girl said, "It's about time we haven't seen you in a while." So that's more like it. Oh, oh I don't yeah, old. Yeah. <laughs> so this book has Come a lot on. of betrayals. How many betrayals are in this novel? Without giving them away. <laughs> 
I love the title because the I world is betraying everybody them. lately. I mean, honestly, it just seems to me that <sighs> due to the fact that betrayal oftentimes, you know, mm-hmm. is, yeah. in this book has to do with people not being who they are. But, mm-hmm. the betra- you know, the major betrayal, I think, for Angeline at first was her sister. So, mm-hmm. But then she found out more information. Then um, I think what it is is that it's really, it's really family dynamics. You start finding out things about your family and you realize, mm-hmm. like even in oh, the yeah. second book, she was betrayed by her family, by her parents. She, she was not told the truth. That's betrayal. Um, mm-hmm. She was not told the truth about where she came from or who she was all for the sake of, of her being it, it, uh, I my first husband was a was a Vietnam vet who was in in Vietnam during the Tet offensive he was bipolar mm-hmm. he was a mess and I took a lot of his bibleist type of thinking to put into Angeline's father uh Yes, he had PTSD, He was, but, you know, he had problems mm-hmm. before he went into, you know, the Marines. In fact, he said what my ex said when he got out, um, it was easier being in Vietnam. It was either live or die than it is to mm. live in a modern world. And I'm not sure if there were, aren't a number of men that might have felt that way. I worked with Vietnam vets for a while here in Eugene, and um, the ones who had dealt with their with their issues were working to help others, and I worked with them. And what happens for me is I see those men who had issues going in, going in for the wrong reason. Mm. And so they came out a lot more affected. Like my my current husband I've been with for over 40 years and he was in the army in Vietnam also. But mm. he has no no issues whatsoever. He's, you know, it's something that happened that he had to do and he went and did it. And, you know, his parents were from Boston and they had that same kind of you do it, you get it done, and you mm-hmm. go on. And um, so he's had no issues. And, and honestly, I wanted to portray someone who had really such such issues and control controlling mannerisms over Angeline's mother that it affected everybody everybody who was born um, into that family had something happen to Angeline was probably the one who you know was the firstborn and the one who had the least. Mm. But also, she, you know, all through the books, she's affected by these, you know, decisions that were made that she had no, no control over. Aren't we all? But anyway, we all come, we all have some kind of baggage, and so part mm-hmm. of it for her is that she wants desperately to save anybody in her family. And I've had a lot of people who've read the books want me to continue with Angeline. 
Um, yes, they'd like we do. To... Yes, yeah, we okay, do. good. That's good. I'm thinking that, you know, I want her to go on with something more, you know, definitely. Um, I studied noir in, in uh, college, uh, film noir, and that's why I write dark. I love film noir. And so part of it for me is I I would like her to at least have that she can work with uh, and also some, you know, maybe some happiness. <laughs> it might be nice. <laughs> but I don't know yet. We'll see. Well, I know I, I read. Taught, yeah. I just, just just I did read the back uh, back interview of the people wrote to you about uh, your book. Okay. I read those questions. Uh-huh. I very really do, and I said, oh, let me read this. Let me see what they think. They wanted to know why Ang still loves Sophie. They wanted to know how you created your dark plots, and they wanted to know if you're bringing Angeline back. Those are some of them. Yeah. Okay, so be- yep, before we end, there's, an- there's another character that we didn't get to. This is very important. Detective Bebo, and why does she put guards on her room and her? And why are they afraid something's going to happen to Angeline, which they better not because... What would be the book without Angeline? <laughs> yeah. Detective Bebo was, um, <clears throat> she hasn't, she's, brought, she got brought in later mm-hmm. when they, when they went to Naples. Um, and that's where, well, I can't give that away because that's a spoiler, but when you get to you Naples. You don't say anything, no. You know, you have a different you have a different detective take over the case mm. because it happens there, and she doesn't have any knowledge really of what's going on. She she is there because of what happened in Naples mm-hmm. at that time. So part of it for her is she's in the dark, and she's trying to figure out what is going on. So it's difficult to get all that into a book without, you know, being too distracting. Um, I wanted to keep it centered on Angelina, of course. But, yeah, she was an interesting character, but she really, I don't know, you know, I didn't get to I didn't get to sit with her too long. So as far as your question goes, mm. I honestly don't know. Well, let's see. If you bring Angeline back, you might decide to bring her back, too. Maybe she'll turn evil. You never know. These characters really change yeah. personalities. I mean, that, well, that's why my, my that's why my characters are dead. And I'm hoping... Well, that's... A, my, I, mm-hmm. And my editor, I have a brand new editor. He's amazing. Um... And he, he he's only you know they you only get these editors from publishing companies and they only do you know like grammar and syntax and spelling and stuff. Well, I convinced uh, him yeah. that he's allowed to that he's allowed to criticize my content and fix it, which he did in the first half. Oh, good. He said, and I said to him, you know, John, um, I'll even I don't I'm not, he's not costing me that much money. He's not too bad. And I said, you know what? I I needed somebody to do content because that's how come. My last book didn't turn out as well as it should have because I created nine worlds that you wouldn't want to live in, like a world without darkness, darkness, a world without sun, and I invited a dead person to come back and experiencing it, hoping that people would be a lot nicer in this one. They didn't get it. 
So I said, I need somebody to do uh, content. So, yeah. So, that which which does There help. you go. So, so well, that's we good have, because, yeah, to have yeah, a developmental a editor, you know, someone who's really in, involved yeah. in the story, not just in, not just a, a line editor. Yeah, they don't. And they don't have those in these type of publishing companies. So I was lucky. No. I'm not worried about getting the book published. Yeah. I have somebody that's willing to do it. It's just that I wanted to. I want this one to really be great because the, the, all the some of the stories are actually true. Some of the people were wrongly well, accused for real. Really? Okay. So that's like you know, you, like the Innocence Project, you know, getting into yeah. That's the, Philip Margolin did the Innocence Project, and he was on last week. Yeah, I love Phil. Yeah, he's great. He's, I love listening to him. He, yeah, he was know, a great interview. Of, he's fun. Is he? Yeah, he seems he seems to be when we when I've seen him, he's been. You know, I love it when writers don't take themselves so seriously. You know, when they yeah. understand this is a job that we do because we love it. It's not something that we can just not do. You know, it's not like you can drop it. I worked at a community college, and you know, you can leave it behind, but. You can't do that with writing. Writing is constantly gnawing at you. It's like my husband's always saying, you better go write. You're getting grouchy, you know. <laughs> yeah, my husband says go inside to the computer and have a word with it so it doesn't, you know, delete your new book or something like that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, I retired from teaching when my mom got Alzheimer's. And my sister said I was looked like a couch potato. I did. I weighed 200 pounds, so I weighed 107 pounds. And um, no, wow. she, and she, yeah, it's a long story. And she said, "Why don't you write a book?" I said, "You're going to be really sorry, because I'm going to write two stories about us growing up in the South Bronx," which I did. And and how did she, she take got, it? <laughs> she got to see the first one before she died, and she wanted to kill me. Uh-huh. She said, "I never realized that mom was so. My mother was very mean to me." I just didn't realize it. Uh, I figured every uh, I, if I didn't get a hundred on a test, I had to write it over. If I got ninety nine, I had to write the test over five times until it was perfect penmanship and was a hundred percent. She didn't do that to my uh, sister or my brother. Uh, I had perfection. If I did, she didn't like what I was wearing. I was in trouble. Oh, she would do things that nobody in their right mind would do. I I came down one day. She didn't like what I was wearing. She sent me upstairs. She called my principal to tell that I didn't look right. And then when I got to school, my principal said, if your mother didn't like it, I'm not going to like it. You're my assistant. I cracked up laughing. I was like, wow. Were you the oldest? I wasn't that much older. It didn't matter. My My mother lied about my age. Before she died, she said, I just want you to know. And she was coherent, even though she had Alzheimer's. She said, someday you'll find out who you really belong to. I go, unfortunately, I was yours for all these years. Oh, too bad. Can't get me away yet. <laughs> I mean, my sister told me, my sister, when we went to a flea market, told everybody I was adopted. I said, explains why I'm smarter than you. I turned green. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I, I went on I went on Heritage, and I did find out that my birth date is wrong, and that I'm younger, and I'll take anything I can get, which I don't care. Hey, why not? Hey, that's that's a gift. <laughs> Yeah. So that's what, funny, what is, Fran. I know I you know something? I just every day is is hilarious. Um my brother my brother was born on one of my birthdays and my mother looked at me and she said she went to the hospital and she they said she's he's gonna be born today. She says, No, he's gonna be born tomorrow so my my daughter has a present for her birthday. 
I was like, okay. Oh. And he was, and he's been torturing me ever since. Forever. Oh, we, yes. He's a trip and a half. So, but he gave me three wacko nephews, which is great. So, what happens? She looks for another job in law enforcement. What's her final goal? Where do you see her? If you continue her, where do you see her? Well, you know, I have a, I have. Say what the, what the first scene is that I've written, but um, mm. I have her, um, in an entirely different situation. Uh huh. There, there will be there will be people coming back in from the past, of course, and and I really want her to, to to meet her biological father and find out mm. things there. But you know, those are the those are the things that are minor, actually, because if you're going to write a thriller, you know, you have to have something mm-hmm. happening, and she's trying to make up her mind right now whether she's going to work with law enforcement in some way or she's going to work with something like, um, like see if there's something she can do for, you know, shelter, shelter for battered women, some, you know, some organization. Mm -hmm. She's not really sure what she wants to do, but the story I think is going to put her into something different and I want it to be I really would like to see her I think she might start off in AA <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know that where she might try and uh, you know do something about this drinking um, but as we all know how drinking is is pretty hard to, mm. to, to um, I drink coffee that's some, it I think that's my drink people just coffee yeah, I think I think alcoholism is one of the hardest things for people because it's so mm. rampant and so around you all the time. So I think it's you know it's not like oh yeah heroin you have to go over here and hide out with these other people and not show your face. But mm. you know alcoholism is like you know um, we won't even get into fentanyl. But um, part of it is is that she really is looking to do something where she can help. But I think what's going to happen is as usually happens with a lot of, and, and you know, like has happened to her before, something mm-hmm. is going to come her way that she feels righteous about doing something about it. And I don't know what's going to happen yet because um, that person is knocking on her door in the first, in the first scene. And I don't know what's behind the door yet. <laughs> Well, you know, that's you know the something, fun part about writing. There's something that I that bothers me because I listen to some of my relatives, and I worry. Um, it's opiates. It's every time mm-hmm. somebody has a surgery, yeah. the first thing they prescribe is a whole bunch of opiates, and that bothers exactly. me because nobody is really doing anything about selling them on the streets and fentanyl and. Um, I have a cousin no. that takes morphine, oxycodone, Percocet, Vicodin, and <gasps> Delay Delorted. She just had, so, yeah, she takes all of them. And they gave them, the doctor gave them to her. And she's going today to get a stronger medicine because she had a knee replacement last week. And I oh, had no. something oh, done, no. I can't say what, because of my other situation. I had something done two weeks, three weeks ago, and I didn't take anything. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I much in. I did. The doctor had oh, to do something, yeah. and he gave me... Uh, an anesthetic for the wrong thing, for the wrong 
thing that he had to remove, and he just took a hammer and knocked it out. And I go, okay. Um, I don't believe in opiates <laughs> ever. The, the, the strongest well, thing no, I'll take is I mean, Motrin. It's scary. So I, I just were would, meant for people who were dying in pain. Yeah, exactly. you know, I mean, they, they weren't yeah. meant to just be given out for, you know, oh, you pulled your back, you know. Yeah, that, but that's, what, that's what's been happening. happening. A lot of things out here on the West Coast that are happening with, uh, and I don't know if they are there or not, but, you know, with with microdosing, helping with pain, um, yeah. a lot of the, like, I use, CBD uh, lotions for, you know, I have a bad shoulder. I don't, you know, so there's a lot of things you can do now with naturals that really are not are not addictive. But, you know, why they're not doing anything about, I mean, yeah, they've taken some families to court, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. They're not. Because As a matter I, of fact... Like, I'm going to interview the number one pain interventionist in January for her book, When It Hurts. Dr. Sabrina Sabrina Shue asked to talk about um, how she deals with pain and how she deals with 20 different kinds of pain in my book, in her book. And I'm going to ask her that question. Is the first thing that you prescribe physical therapy or would you prescribe opiates? Because Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know. So before we end... Um, Angelina's next. Is there something else besides Angelina that's next? And where can everybody get the first two books? And how come I didn't know about them? <laughs> Why didn't I? Um, my uh, well, anyway, we will talk about that later. Um, yeah, this is a trilogy. This is a trilogy. Yeah. So there's the first, second, and third. So you get a lot mm-hmm. of of the reasons. I tried to make. Uh, one last betrayal be a standalone, but it's pretty hard when you have so much, you know, backstory. Yeah. And uh, you can get them on any any booksellers. Everything from Amazon to you can order them. Barnes and Noble now are not stocking hardly anything unless you're like yeah, I know at the top of your game in in hardcover. So, uh, but you can order through Barnes and Noble. You can order through indie stores. I suggest ordering them through indie stores because I like to support the indie stores, uh, keep them alive. And, um, yeah, so you can get them on almost anywhere. And if you go to my website, uh, if you want signed, signed editions, they can, they can get signed editions through my website, which is really simple. It, you can just put in ValerieJBrooks.com. Also, sign up for my newsletter. Yeah, sign up for oh, my good. newsletter because when you sign up for my newsletter on my website, you you do get <clears throat> you get a free short story called Lake Winnesquam 1982, and that is a pivotal moment in Angeline and Sophie's life. It's very suspenseful. It's when the two girls are are left alone for what they think is a day, and by the third day, their parents haven't returned. And what happens to them? So that's that my kind of background. Well, yeah. thank you so yeah, much. Like this is right in my day. It's I don't know where you are, but I'm freezing here. It is thirty something well, it's degrees. Well, cold here too, but it isn't. It's not the same as you. It's not the same. No, we're we're in sort of a banana belt, so it's only like thirty five. 
It was about the same. So anyway. About the same. When I okay. got up this morning, and I have a very bad habit of not wearing a jacket, which is not good, but I wear oh, a no. Yeah, I'm terrible. Like my, nice- my dad didn't. I don't like jackets. They're annoying. <laughs> so I'm going to go you out need afterwards. You a nice fuzzy, cashmere sweater. Yeah, well, I have a vest and I have a jacket that goes over it, but it just doesn't match what I'm wearing. And if I don't match, forget it. I'm terrible. Okay, so well, thank you you're a fashionista. So much. My, that was thank my you so much, Fran. Yes, yeah, my, mother, my mother's problem, yeah. She sort of turned me into something. I don't know what, but we did. <laughs> but thank you so don't much. Um, I hope you're doing another tour with Partners in Crime again. Um, I've done a few with them, and I love Gina, and I love Wendy, and they keep me busy. Thank God. Yeah, I love so, Valerie, yes. thank you so much. Everybody, have a beautiful day. And everybody, do something nice for somebody. Say something kind. Have a great day, and bye.